is featured in Robert Wick's book called The World's Great Adventure Motorcycle Routes. It's becoming a really popular route for motorcyclists that takes riders through some stunning landscapes, all kinds of riding conditions, and offers many choices for routes and places to visit. But there's one small stretch of land on this route that all travelers are forced by geography to converge into and make a choice. They must choose which way they're going to go around the Darien Gap. Today, we've got four first-hand accounts of four different methods for jumping the Darien Gap. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. called The World's Greatest Adventure Motorcycle Routes, published by Haynes Publishing. The first route he tackles is the Pan American. The Pan American route runs from Alaska in the north to Ushuaia, Argentina in the south end. Now, it's a really popular route for motorcyclists, and it can run you as far as 48,000 kilometers or almost 30,000 miles, depending on what route you take. Of course, it can be run in either direction. Robert Wicks suggests in his book that one reason the route is better going from north to south is the celebration afterward, meaning that it's better to celebrate in Ushuaia, Argentina in the south than in the north at Prudhoe Bay, because Prudhoe Bay is an industrial town, which is also a dry town. Not much fun for a party. But either way you decide to go, north to south, south to north, there's one issue. There's a gap in the road, a very small gap where the highway just, well, doesn't exist. And when you get there, you're going to have to find a way around it. That gap is called the Darien Gap. The Darien Gap is located between Panama and Colombia, sort of creating a, a natural border between the two countries of jungle, um, and sort of a buffer. And, and that buffer, some say, is that or that break in transportation routes is what has prevented the spread of foot and mouth disease from South America northward. Uh, it's carried in cattle. And that may be part of the reason the road has never been connected. Others cite environmentalists. Some say it's politically motivated. It really doesn't matter why the road doesn't exist. If you're traveling the route, what matters is that you're going to have to find a way around it or find some way to connect the roads on one side to the other side. Now, riding the Darien Gap is pretty much impossible. I mean, for most of us. It's only about 100 kilometers as a crow flies from the end of one road over the gap to the start of another. But it's completely undeveloped for modern transportation. No roads, no street signs, only footpaths at best. It's serious jungle with poisonous snakes, poisonous frogs, hordes of mosquitoes, giant spiders, and even jaguars. But that isn't all. There's also your anti-government gorillas, your paramilitaries, smugglers, poachers, criminals... 
It's a bit of a, a lawless wild land, and it's also home to indigenous people known as the Ember, Wunan, and Kuna. Now, if what I've described to you sounds sort of scary and difficult, well, good, you're probably much better off with that mindset. But as with all challenges, all things that are difficult, there are those that sort of love to take a shot at doing the impossible, and they've been doing it for quite some time. Some have been successful at getting vehicles through the stretch of jungle. I think the first was back in the early 30s, uh, three Brazilians driving two Model T Ford cars. Can you imagine what that was like? Others followed, some failed, some turned back. Even motorcyclists have done it, although most of these attempts for vehicles have included using boats of some kind to make it through. Uh, one in particular, though, actually rode all the way through. That was a motorcycle. It was a Rocon. Well, some people call it a motorcycle. I kind of consider it a mini bike. If you don't know what a Rocon is, it's a two-wheel drive mini bike. It drives the front and rear wheels, which makes it a lot more nimble when you get into the tough stuff. But one of the most well-known crossings by motorcycle was by Helge Peterson. I didn't know it was going to be hard like that. It was, I will never do it again if I knew what I was getting myself into. He wrote a book about it called 10 Years on Two Wheels. And when he came up to the Darien Gap, he initially didn't know anything about it. I had no clue. If you had said Darien Gap and I said, where's that mountain? Or, no, where's that passage? Or, you know, I had no clue what it was. But very quickly, he found out it was going to be a tough go. Now, he was concerned about money. That was one of his mo main motivators was that he wanted to save money. Um, and he was told it was tough. It is 80 miles stretch with pure jungle, uh, very difficult terrain. It's flooded, rained out uh, nine to 10 months out of the year. It's only a window in uh, yeah, late January, February, early March that you can go through there and walk through there. The Indians, the locals, the Kuna and the Embara Indians, they uh, use hatches or manchetes to cut their way through and open a trail uh, during the season. And it's just very tough area to get through. It took me 20 days to get those 80 miles. Helge did some digging around and found a, a guy who was actually taking people through the Darien Gap on foot. But uh, he looked at his bike and he said, there's no way you're going to get that thing through. You're going to need something to actually drag it through. And you're going to need somebody to help you. So Helge managed to find a person to help and then bought some equipment. You need tackle and pulleys because there are some very steep hills and that bike is never, you're never going to be riding it. You're going to be pushing and throwing and lifting a lot. So get, so I got 40 meters of rope and two pulleys and uh, two manchetes, which are big kind of like jungle knives that you cut through the jungle. Now, Helge said it's, it's difficult. It was very, a difficult trip to do. And very shortly in, um, he ended up having a problem, which made the rest of the trip extremely difficult for him. One of the first steep hills, I was brave or stupid, perhaps, <laughs> enough to try and drive up there. And my bike went up on the wheel, uh, back wheel and flipped backwards. I threw the bike to the right side. And so it didn't crush me. And I fall and I break my hand, uh, not on the palm, but on the other side. And I didn't know it was broken. It hurt a lot tried to teach the German to ride because it was hard to use. The Helge had met another person and convinced him to go along with him to help him get his bike through. But obviously, just a very difficult way to try and jump the gap. So unless you're into an extreme adventure, you might want to avoid that one. Now, more recently, uh, November 2017, there was four U.S. Army vets that set out to ride the Pan America route from Alaska 
to Ushuaia on KLRs. Only three of them ended up completing the trip, which included riding through the Darien Gap, uh, not by themselves. They had the help of some hired porters. They pushed, they pulled, they dragged the bikes through the jungle. Um, they're turning it into a documentary, actually, that um, is coming out sometime. It's called Where the Road Ends. But we're, we're talking, it's almost an adventure in itself. So that leaves the other three ways to try and bridge the gap. Oh, and by the way, uh, Helge Peterson has a book that has that adventure in it called 10 Years on Two Wheels. It's an iconic motorcycle adventure book, and it has a picture of a motorcycle in a dugout canoe on the cover. In recent years, many motorcyclists are using a sailing ship to go around the Darien Gap called the Stall Rat. The Stallrat was built in 1903 in Holland. It's not a commercial vessel, but it's it's a sailing ship, which they say the purpose is to act as a traveling platform for group uh, life slash experience. And many riders have been having a great time with their service. But because it's a sailboat, the bikes are stored above deck, up on the handrails, fastened to the handrails. So it's sort of like a like a mini cruise you're on with your bike fastened to the top of the deck. Now, last August, a retired couple from Australia named Neek and Paul Hannaby, uh, who have been traveling around the world on two motorcycles, decided to use a stall rat to go around the Darien Gap. I'm Neek and my husband is with me here, he's Paul, and we are very happily retired traveling the world on our motorcycles. Neek and Paul, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank, Thank you, you for having us, Jim. Where are you guys right now? Uh, we're sitting on the border of... Peru Pro- and Chile, Peru. on the coast. And uh, tomorrow we head into Chile. So you're heading south. We are. We've spent... Uh, nearly seven months in Peru now, so it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're getting sick of it or is it just time to see something different? No, we have to go before the uh, immigration officials say it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So you're motivated to leave. <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> you recently um, you jumped the Darien Gap. When did you do that? Uh, in August last year. August last year. So you guys have been traveling for what, two and a half years now, something like that? Just over uh, 2.7 years or something, yeah. Mm, did, did you start out planning to be this long? No. No. We left home in April 2016 and we went to Thailand for six weeks and sat on a beach drinking cocktails while our motorcycles were flown into Los Angeles. And the original plan was to do six months in the U.S., and then from there decide if we'd had enough and we were tired and go home or if we were feeling energized to keep going and at the end of the six months it went so quick we were just like mexico here we come these bikes should really come with warning stickers don't you think absolutely sure (laughs) (laughs) so the darien gap you guys are heading south to jump the gap you're going from where to where from panama into colombia okay and and you chose to go on the stall rat now what was the 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 process of thought there as far as um, the different options uh, we didn't, uh, on the way down, we'd thought about two options and one was air freighting and one was stall ready. We were leaning towards air freight at the time. Solely uh, for 
not that we were in a hurry because obviously we have no end date for our trip. So it was just more of a case as well. We're in Panama. We put them on a plane. We fly in and we're in Colombia. Done. So time, it was just quick and easy. Mm. That's why we were contemplating the air freight. Uh, on the way down, we uh, once we started to enter Panama or just before Panama, we started to ride with riders that were actually booked on the store ready. And, um, you know, you sort of start building up a relationship with them and you're riding together down through Panama and uh, we were staying in the same accommodation there as well. And uh, then we started to question, you know, should we be going on the store ready as well? So at about 10 o'clock at night, I emailed Ludwig from the store ready and said, Ludwig, I think we might like to come on the store ready. Can you fit us in on the next next trip, which was in two days' time? And he emailed back and he said, for you, Nick, anything. And so we literally booked two days before we sailed. So what you're saying is he's a real salesman. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> He's very accommodating, but we actually did, we were literally the last two bikes that they could actually fit on the deck. So uh, he really looked after us well to get us on that so we could travel with our friends for a few days. Hey, hey what's with that dog in the background? Is that your dog? <laughs> no, I would love to say that I'm traveling with a dog on my motorcycle, but no, it's not mine. It's uh, just one of the uh, little dogs out the front. Yeah, along with the chickens on the roof and, and a rooster uh, that you and might the rooster be able on to hear the roof too. next door, and uh, it is it is South America. <laughs> <laughs> you you said um, that the stall rat was sort of more than just transportation. You you got something more of this. It's it's a bit of a tour, is it? Well, it is a tour. You know, like you, it's a, from the minute that you met by the crew uh, in Panama, they like make you welcome. You sort out your bike, unpack your gear, they take you to your cabin on the boat, you get settled, there's a bit of a briefing about how it works, you know, what the plans are for the next like four days that you sail, uh, have lunch, get to meet the other people on the boat. On, on our trip, there was uh, four uh, backpackers that were on the boat, so they didn't have motorcycles. So everyone had different stories to tell and where they're from different places in the world. So it's a real, like, it was, it was a bit corny, but it was like bonding. It was nice. We sat around, had beers, chatted. Then you have a night on one of the San Blas Islands and they cook beautiful fresh fish for you and you go swimming and snorkeling in this beautiful azure water. It's just amazing. So the whole four days is sailing, swimming. Ludwig is the most amazing cook, like poor, not just a skipper, but a really good cook. So it's a whole four days of just relaxing, socializing and just enjoying it. It's just, a, it's, it's a great experience. Sort of a vacation in a vacation. Absolutely. <laughs> and I guess the, the time off from riding is probably a, a bit of a welcome change. Yeah, and I mean, especially for us as well, we ride together, so we're together 24-7. So it's good to have some other company and uh, to talk to other people as well. What about um, motorcycle prep? Did you have to do anything special to your bikes before? I mean, and you guys are running uh, BMWs, I think an F800, F700. That's correct, yeah. Right, so as far as prep and loading goes and, and unloading? Uh, we didn't prep the bikes at all. Um, we had heard that some people had uh, like sprayed their whole bikes with uh, CRC, so we, we didn't actually do that. So the crew on board are quite smart. Um, for the loading of the bikes, they um, do it while you're over on the island. 
and that probably helps them a bit for the uh, people with the precious motorcycles that want to stand there and probably uh, get their hands on. So we're away from the vessel while it's loaded. But by the time we get back to the vessel, the bikes are uh, tied to the gunnels and completely tarped up so that no water, no salt water can get on them whatsoever. So just to be clear there, you, you left your bike and they loaded it while you were not there. That's correct, yep. So we left the uh, the bikes at the wharf and uh, we then went off to the island for the night and then they come and get you the next day and when you get back to the vessels, your bikes are all on the boat, tied down, lashed down um, and covered up. I've heard stories of um, getting into rough water and getting the bikes covered with salt water. That's probably why some of the people are spraying it down with uh, some sort of protectant oil. Did you find any of that? We were really lucky. The four days that we sailed, we had just beautiful seas. Like there was no strong winds, no uh, waves coming over the deck, nothing. So we were really lucky. Nobody threw up then. Actually, you uh, know, surprising, there was some people that got seasick. Luckily, we weren't one of them. Um, there was some people that got seasick, but in all honesty, it wasn't rough. I think it's just a different motion for them. Yeah, because it's the vessel's actually a 114 year old uh, round bilge sailing yacht. So if you do get a bit of swell or a bit of rough weather, it does have a slow rock, and I'd imagine it could um, rock and roll a little bit in rough weather. I think that's the rooster, isn't it? it yeah, is. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it in there. <laughs> and we're not even sitting on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I've heard that about uh, the, the style route that some people end up getting sick, but it's really after, I mean, you are heading south, you get to San Blas Islands and it's after that, I guess, when you get into some open water that that's where you, people tend to get sick. It is. It's just, I think it's 20, it's 30 hours, 30 hours. So once you leave the San Blas Islands, you have a strip of 30 hours, which is kind of open seas. So that last 30 hours, if you're, you know, inclined to get a bit seasick then, and it's a bit rough, then that would be you know, when it would happen. Is your bike insured through the stall rat when you're on there? Like if something was to happen, will they cover it? Um, I believe they do have some liability. Exactly what it is, I'm not sure. But they took um, meticulous care with the bikes. And um, if something were to happen, I'd imagine Ludwig would help you out. Mm, so you you guys were totally satisfied, as was everyone else, with the way the bikes were handled and, and tied up? Oh, absolutely. Yep. There was no complaints at all. And then when we did finally um, dock in Cartagena, the crew like helped us get all our panniers and bags off of the, off the vessel, uh, put the bikes under a little bit of shade so that we could all repack again. They were very professional. They were fantastic. What about paperwork and dealing with customs? How did that go? It was really easy. Yeah, it was all handled by uh, Ludwig off the store, Raddy. He's got a um, shipping agent there and um, they handle all the paperwork. Um, you, you're actually landed on the shore with your bike and then you ride straight from the vessel to um, Adjuana and uh, Sunat, I think it is, and uh, the shipping agent worked out all the paperwork for us. We just had to sit there and wait for it. I do believe that's changed now. I'm not sure that they're actually land going to Cartagena now, but when we went through in August last year, it was certainly very easy. Everything was organised for us. Insurance, uh, the paperwork, our tip, uh, even our immigration was all taken care of. Your tip? Uh, the temporary import vehicle for mm. the permit for the motorcycle. Uh, I just mistakenly thought you were saying tip for Ludwig and the crew. 
no, no, no. no. <laughs> no sorry. TVIP. TVIP. Right. Mm. That's my terrible Aussie slang. <laughs> <laughs> um, any any advice or, or tips for anyone else considering the stall rat? Yeah, it's um, it's more than just getting to um, Colombia. It's the whole adventure. Um, the San Blas Islands are just absolutely stunning and phenomenal. Um, as Monique said, azure water, crystal clear. You can swim in them for two days while you're in the in that area, and um, just the the experience on board as well with the other passengers is just amazing. And I guess for for other motorcycle travellers, there's no secret amongst all of us that we love to have a beer. You know, like we all love to sit down and talk rubbish and you know have a beer. And all the food on board is fantastic that we cook. So it's all included in your price. And I think beers were like a dollar. Oh, wow. So, you know, so once you get on board, it's not like going on a cruise ship where everything's, you know, more expensive. You know, it's just, it's an honor system. You take a beer, you put a mark on the board, you pay at the end. So the price to travel on the store ready was actually, when we actually worked it out with the price we got with air freight, um, and then we'd have to then have our own air ticket to fly into Colombia. So by the time we did the store ready, all our food was included. We paid for our beer. It was actually only something like $50, 50 US dollars each more expensive to have this beautiful like four-day cruise through the San Blas Islands. So if you've got an extra four days on your trip, definitely do it for an extra $50. It was well worth it. What did it end up costing in the end? So in the end, so the actual for the uh, two motorcycles and the two of us on the store ready because you pay for the person and then the motorcycle was $2,300 US is what we paid for the four days. All our food was included and we had a drinks bill over the four days of something like $80 or something. Right, which is totally controllable. That's 2300 now each or total? No, that was total for the That's two total of us. For the two bikes. So it was one, yeah, one thousand one hundred and fifty dollars. So for one person and one motorcycle. Any surprise fees there? No, nothing. No, nothing. no the price was per. I, I forget the breakdown of how it works, but it's literally for a person and a motorcycle was one thousand one hundred and fifty dollars, and then you just paid for your alcohol on board. Nick, Paul, we're going to have to get you guys back on, but for now. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks very much for the time, Jim. Thanks for having us, Jim. Cheers. take a short break and be right back in two minutes. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors that helped bring this episode to you, but stick around because when we come back, we've got more stories about going around the Darien Gap. Stay with us.
Lisa and Simon Thomas, they call themselves to ride the world. They've been wandering around the world in their motorcycles for the past 15 years. I think they left for six months or a year or something like that and haven't stopped yet. But back in 2007, they decided to fly their bikes around the Darien Gap rather than find a private boat to uh, take them around instead. This was before the stall rat was running. Simon and Lisa. Hi, uh, we're Simon and Lisa Thomas uh, from To Ride the World. Uh, both from the UK. Uh, we left England in 2003 to travel for a year, and here we are 15 years later, still wandering the globe on two motorcycles. Simon and Lisa, great to have you back on the show. Talking about your trip around the Darien Gap back in 2007, you guys decided to fly around. What was your thought process with that? Um, uh, we were coming up from South America, and obviously uh, Darien Gap was in the way. We wanted to be in Panama. Um, we didn't, and we had planned to go through or to, to well, attempt to ride we through the Darien Gap. thinking um, that it might be a possibility. But we're now talking back to 2006 or 2007, I think it might have been. But even today, the logistical challenges haven't changed. Yeah, the logistical challenges of today is still the same. Um, and we, we did the research, etc. But don't get, we'd also uh, um, uh, been in the Amazon and done the jungle there and the mud and Simon's accident and the bridges breaking and hauling the motorcycles through and the mud. broken neck and the malaria. So um, we had actually, after doing a little bit of reading and research about the Darien Gap, we went, no. We've done our jungle. We've done our We've done our baptism by fire. Yeah. We don't need to prove that we can do it again. You mean to say you were actually considering trying to ride through? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 yeah. Don't ride through, really. I've got to be honest. The answer is yes. Um, I mean, before we set out, the people that we were looking at, that we were admiring, were people like Ted Simon and Helge Pedersen, 10 years on two wheels. I mean, the iconic cover of his wonderful book, is you know the guy in the motorcycle in the canoe as they're pushing through the Darien Gap. So least right at that point, you know, we were we were relatively confident. We were in South America, we tackled Africa, and we both thought, well, we hadn't heard about anybody else going through. You know, this could be a challenge that we might rise to. Um, but as Lisa pointed out, after our Amazon trials, both of us sat back and we both went, yeah, you know what. We've made it through. We shouldn't be here. We were very, very lucky. We've we've tested ourselves. Um, we, we don't, don't have anything else to prove. Yeah. And for Lisa and myself, um, the prospect of hauling our bikes with rope and pulley for four to six weeks through a quagmire of jungle, we just didn't need to do it. But it was also the the prospect of probably having to bribe military, dealing with the uh, um, the gorillas that are out there, the FARC, um, all those other dangerous elements that you just can't predict. Um, and we thought, no, we, we've already used our guardian angel this year. And for the next few years, we're not going to push it. No, you're going to end up getting boats. Um, and you're going to need help to get through it. I mean, it's a different experience altogether. It, it's sort of an adventure in yeah. itself for that type yeah. of adventure seeker that's looking for that sort of um, the extreme. Yeah. Um, but we just didn't need to do that. And so we chose to fly. Um, one of the reasons flying, this was before the Stalrat came 
uh, into operation, the uh, sailboat that you can now take to go uh, around the Darien. Um, it was before the uh, very short-lived uh, ferry uh, came on board. Um, so the only option was to either get on a private yacht. That's right, going up to the yacht yeah. club in just outside of Cartagena, yeah. Colombia, and literally walking in there uh, and, and trying to find somebody that would say yes to strapping a couple of motorcycles onto the front of their yacht and sailing across to Panama. But um, that opens all sorts of issues and problems. Say, you know, you had a problem with customs entering Panama, um, or you got caught by high seas, or there'd be no kind of insurance cover uh, for your motorcycles should you get into a predicament, as there is on the, the Stalrat and, and well on the ferry when it ran. Um, so there were lots of other considerations, and we thought, you know, by the time we've actually paid out possibly paid additional um, requests for money. Um, it's easier just to fly. So where did you fly from and where did you, you end up landing? We went into Bogota um, and we were going to organize to fly direct into Panama City. And as it was, uh, there was one company uh, doing this on, I wouldn't say regular basis, because there weren't as many travelers doing that route as there appear to be these days. But finding the details is pretty straightforward, because I mean, bearing in mind, we're talking about an, a, a period of time where social media was just beginning. So I, if, if memory serves, um, the, the most effective resource back then in terms of all of this information was actually Horizons Unlimited. Um, and when we typed in Darien Gap, and you typed in Columbia Panama shipping time and time and time again. The name that kept coming to the fore uh, was Girag, Air Girag. Um, and we just read nothing but incredibly positive reviews um, about their services. And the nice thing is, they actually have offices both in Bogota and Panama City. So you're dealing with the same person in both countries, which is great. I mean, back back then, um, the process, the paperwork, um, we speak some Spanish, they were speaking some English, everything, every piece of information they gave us in terms of the times, the finances, the cost, the logistics, etc., were absolutely spot on. In fact, the most challenging part of the ex entire experience with them was the fact that their offices in the loading bay um, were about seven foot off the ground. And in other words, there was it was eight or nine steep brick steps. So uh, you had to ride up the steps directly into the reception, get on the brakes really hard before crashing into the desk and they can, and then make a right-hand turn into the receiving area. Now they've got lifts and they're all, they're all yeah, very all civilized and decked out. Yeah. But that was the most challenging part of the entire experience. And the other aspect was that we flew straight into Panama and because you're flying and not shipping or, or, or doing something else, the the amount of time that's wasted in both putting your vehicle onto the plane and receiving at the other end is very 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 minimal. Uh, whereas shipping again or ferrying, you can be, you can be hanging around for for days or weeks whilst you know things go astray. So for motorcycle prep, did you have to do anything special? You're draining fuel, disconnecting batteries, that's, that sort of thing. We had to uh, do the usual, drain uh, the fuel. Obviously, you leave a little bit in there so you can get outside the airport and get some um, and disconnect the batteries. But apart from that, that was nothing. They yeah. then went on to two pallets. Two wooden pallets. Strapped on very securely. And we were there uh, assisting and keeping an eye on things. Um, and then they were wrapped. Uh, 
um, bubble wrap in, 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 cell, in, cellophane. Yeah, in cellophane and wrapped again and wrapped again. And so you're basically rolling it onto a crate and, and not having to worry about anything yeah. else. Now, do you fly with the, the bike or did you fly in a, on a different flight? We actually had to fly in a different flight. And that is a, a, a another another consideration another element that you have to take into account when you're flying from Colombia into Panama. Well, no, I think just when you're flying from anywhere into Panama, Panamanian yeah. authorities uh, require that you have uh, proof of an onward flight uh, or a return ticket. Uh, well, obviously, we weren't flying on and we weren't returning, so we did have to deal with the expense of back then genuinely purchasing the cheapest onward flight we could. Nowadays, there's several websites that you can go onto, and these websites are there to do nothing other than go on, purchase a ticket, which they're going to refund to you within two weeks. And I think the total cost on average for that these, service was, for that is $15. Yeah. But back then, there was nothing like that. And they don't take your word for it that you're riding your motorcycle away, even though you're shipping your motorcycle. No, no, no. no they no, don't. They actually want to see the printout tickets of your return because, flight. Because again, with- don't forget this is a this is at the airport, and the the guys who are letting you on the plane to leave, uh, they are the ones that are requesting proof to, to leave where. Uh, when you leave uh, to enter into uh, Panama before where are they, you even get you're on the plane. From? Uh, because you're entering into a country that requires proof of onward travel, usually by a flight, um, that airline, whoever they are, will not allow you on the plane if you can't provide proof. And this happens a, a lot around the world. Uh, because, because, because normally, if you don't have proof, then they end up being responsible for flying you back at their expense, and they, and they don't want the responsibility. So they're motivated to double check that you actually have the the documents required or the flights required for entry into the country that you're paying to fly into. So when you're flying the bike over, I mean, it's it's a totally separate thing. You you have to pretend you're a tourist flying into in and out of Panama. Um, and yes. So when you arrive there, you're not on the same flight as your bike. Where was your bike? Um, well, you're, you're given information. This is what was so good about Girag in the fact that it was a Girag office in Bogota and a Girag office in uh, Panama City. So they kept us abreast as to, um, you know, where well, it was going map. to be. Uh, they gave us a nice little map of where to locate them. Um, and anyway, when you whenever you do pack your motorcycle up, whether it be on a cargo ship, one of the roll-on, roll-off ferries or a flight, um, you are given... Uh, it's called different things, but you're either, either given a bill of lading or you're given an airways bill, and that'll be uh, all proof and information as to where it's left, the date that it'll be arriving, and where it will be arriving, and any reference numbers that you want. And you have to have that before you wave goodbye to your vehicle. I mean, bearing in mind, Panama Airport, Panama City Airport, is is not large. Um, and so, yeah, there's only, there's only a certain number of hangars and receiving warehouses. Uh, and each of these areas is linked to a particular shipping agent and a particular office. So when we landed, and we landed uh, a day or two before our bikes did. So we had chance to familiarize ourselves with the area and the airport. Um, I think it was about a 20 minute ride from over staying back to the airport. Um, so it was actually when we got off the, the plane as, as normal you know, passengers, uh, we didn't leave the airport. We went straight away 
uh, to where uh, the cargo airport actually is. Uh, so we made that we made that trip straight away. We didn't leave and go to the hotel and then come back. We did it all straight away because you know these these are our babies. We we want to know where they're coming in. <laughs> but it was spot on. We found the Air Girac offices. Um, they spoke English. They said, well, we're expecting two motorcycles to turn up tomorrow. Here's the bill of laden. Here's the reference numbers. They double-checked. Yes, they're on the way. They'll be leaving tomorrow. The I think the flight was something crazy, like 45 minutes. Um, and I think the time it took us the following day to get back to those offices, get back to where the bikes were being received unwrap them, reconnect the batteries, and ride away was about two hours. That was it. Oh, wow. It's very fast. So what about customs? Did you have to deal with that? Yeah. So you get, you get all, I mean, all, that, all the, uh, the bike reconnecting, the bike starting, and then you literally ride out of the warehouse. Um, and ironically, I know this for a fact because we were actually just back at the airport in Panama very recently, just a few months ago. Um, you ride out in the very last set of offices before you're released from the airport facility onto the roads the is, is a large barrier mm-hmm. where the customs are. And so you go on over and you fill out all the usual paperwork to identify where you're from, where the bike's from, where you'll be going, what, what your plans are, dates, times, bins, And they will ask um, where you're leaving from as well. Um, because if not, it'll be back at the airport. That's what they assume, you'll be back to the airport. So you must make sure that not only is all the uh, documentation correct, because uh, they got my name totally wrong, um, and um, you, so you must say you're leaving via a land border and, and crossing, obviously, it would be into Costa Rica. But customs, customs took maybe, I mean, I remember when we picked the bikes up, it was quiet. Um, when we flew, customs was maybe 30 minutes at most um and yet most recently um i think customs was probably two two and a quarter two and a quarter hours but that's still not long really no we've had a lot longer but when you when you left you had to show that you have another flight taking you out so when you come into customs there they have to question you do they not ask how you're leaving or, or check that you're going on the flight Customs and immigration, in, in, and this totally is true different. of most countries, um, are totally different entities. So although what you've just said makes sense, you know, because obviously normally their offices are next to one another, as it transpires, our experience is that, no, the immigration officers and the custom officers... They are the ones expecting proof of leaving? Well, hang on. No, the, the well, immigration what? officers yeah. are expecting proof of leaving, leaving, but the actual customs, customs are they're not. So you've got to go in and lie to immigration and then go to customs and tell the truth. No, no, you well, kind of... Because you're saying you're taking a flight. Uh, you yeah. are providing proof of a return or exit flight and you have to have that proof. Just because you're not going to take it doesn't mean it's a lie. Because we are leaving the country. We're still leaving the mm. country, but we are providing proof and it is an actual ticket that you purchase. Um, and they don't care. The reality is that most of the world revolves around square pegs fitting in square holes, and you're going to be at the border or at customs for days, if not weeks, if you sit there and say, yeah, but I'm a circle, and I, I'm not sure how I'm going to fit in there. So a lot of the time, it's just a case of providing people the information that they want to hear to allow them to simply fulfill the process that their job requires. Now, you could go ahead... And as many people have suggested over the years, you could produce a false um, uh, flight ticket 
Um, but there is always that possibility, especially these days, that the airline have a very, it's very easy for them to check. It's just not worth it. So it's just not worth actually providing uh, the false information. Maybe in the, you know, way back in the dark ages when it was not so easy to check um, by using computer uh, databases. But these days they do and they can. But, but even that doesn't make sense. To, today, there's just no need for that because, well, consumer rights give you the ability, as long as you're careful, to go ahead and book a flight and then simply cancel it. Yeah, it, it makes more sense rather than to try and manufacture. I mean, I think to, to manufacture any sort of documentation is is really uh, it's foolish. Or exactly. Yeah. yeah, but but the thing is though, isn't there any concern though when you're dealing with them that you're showing them that you've got this flight out, yet you're also holding papers with you that say you've got a motorcycle to pick up or two? Yeah, but they're separate offices and they don't care because one deals with people and one deals with vehicles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or items. Anything else that um, that you learned by by taking the flight that you think people need to consider? I mean, I think that probably one of the biggest considerations and one of the biggest lessons we've learned from all of our shipping, which is to be there at every step of the way, um, and not and not to presume, sadly, that because you're handing somebody uh, an individual or a company what can be substantial amounts of your hard-earned money. Um, that they're going to take care of your equipment, your gear, and your bike. Um, as you would. As you yeah. would. It just doesn't happen that way. I mean, there are lots of great companies out there, but ultimately, Felicia and myself, we've learned that we need to be there. We need to be the ones that are taking the bikes apart, putting them in the pallet, putting them, rolling them onto the crate, strapping them making down. sure they are strapped down in a way mm. that's secure, that's sensible, that doesn't damage the bike in any way, shape or form, because the things, the things that we take for granted and that you would presume that these companies do on a regular basis because they say, hey, we ship bikes all the time. You know what? Often we've seen them do things and we're going, that isn't Just right. don't be afraid to actually go back to the guys who are strapping down uh, your motorcycle and go, uh, you know, can you redo that? Or no, 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 don't uh, strap it from there. That's not a good idea. Strap it from here. Um, can we have an additional strap? Can we strap it a bit tighter, etc.? Because it's your motorcycle. And in the end, they're going to walk away and go, oh, well, there you go. It fell off or it, it broke or, you know, it's you that is going to have to uh, cope and pay for that. So, it's be, in your best interest. Be nice when you're doing it. Don't be too bossy or dictatorial, but, you know, uh, be matey and pally, but don't take a, be, ah, no, that's okay yeah. attitude. Be, be respectful, but be hands-on. Lisa, Simon, thank you very much. Yeah, you're very thanks. welcome. Thanks, Jim. I've been speaking with Simon and Lisa Thomas. You can find out more about what they're doing by following them at their website, www.toridetheworld.com. And that link will be in our show notes. Well, where does that leave us now? We've talked about flying. We've talked about taking the motorcycle through the gap. And we've talked about using the Stalrat. Well, the only logical one left is shipping. Get your bike into a container. Now, there's some pros and cons with shipping that we're going to talk about. Alspie and Mickness Oliver have been traveling the world since 2010 when they started out for a trip. And they, again, another, another couple that just didn't bother looking back. They loved it on the road. Sort of says something about this motorcycle thing, doesn't it? 
Well, in April 2017, they shipped their bikes around the Darien Gap in a container. And to them, it was the best method. We caught up with them still on the road in Peru. Mickness and Elsby, great to have you back on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Nice, nice um, chatting to you again. Now, you guys did the Darien Gap. How long ago did you guys jump the gap? Uh, last year... Um, April 2017. Yeah. Okay, April 2017. Now, you, know, you guys decided to ship your bikes around. But first, let's just talk about what direction were you going and where are you going from and to? We were going from Panama to Cartagena, which was basically going south. So we shipped from, from Panama to, to Cartagena, but our, our route is going south. Yeah. So why a container? Why'd you choose a container? I mean, you've got the, the options of, of flying your bike over and, and maybe throwing it on the stall route or maybe somebody's private boat. Why did you choose a container over all of that? I think we considered a lot of ways to do it. And we even uh, started looking at uh, methods and ways uh, since we were in Guatemala. We met some local people that used quite a lot of shipping um, from uh, and to Guatemala. So we started looking at pricing and we met uh, a couple that had a vehicle and he loves doing research. So between the group of us, we actually started uh, looking into the different ways uh, to do this. Mechnes even uh, looked at the brave way of just riding through the Darien Gap, which we knew was not possible at all. Um, but yes, our early uh, investigations absolutely showed that the cheapest way to get over that gap was to use a container. Um, the magic was how to coordinate it and who to use. Okay, so totally uh, price motivated. But um, what, what about hassle-wise? Because you're even saying that the trick is to team up with somebody. Did it seem like much more hassle? Originally, yes, Jim, but I must say after we've done it now, in hindsight, it, it was actually uh, much easier than what we thought. Um, we were three groups, so basically a couple in a vehicle, one Canadian in his car, and then our two motorcycles. So in the end, it was a lot easier uh, for us to co coordinate it than we originally thought. So how did it work then? It, it doesn't sound like you went to a company that, that brought people together. You sort of found your own group of people and then organized it yourself. Yeah, so so basically every single car and four and four by four overlander must ship their cars in the on the Darren Gap. They they can't drive it and they can't fly it. So all of them ship. So everyone like we use the 40 foot container. Um is it easier for us to just hook into something like that. And, and it's easy now with, with um, Facebook and the Pan America riders and all those Facebook pages to ask around and, and get people that, that ship their cars and can you ship with them because the bike takes up a lot less space. Um, and then um, we used a company, Elspie's got the details for the company that, that we used um, to ship, the, the shipping company. And they do a lot of the work for you. You just basically have to do the, the bit of paperwork and that's, that's it. Um, Jim, what we did is the guy we, we got a hold of um, actually do now um, bring individuals together to fill up a container. At 
first, we didn't realize it, but once we started talking to him, he actually says, no, he does offer that service. So you've got two choices. You can send him a message and say, I would like to make use of your services. Can you combine me with some other shippers? Or you can do what we did and get friends together, and then the process is a little bit easier. The only trick that is to it is that when they open the container, it doesn't matter how many vehicles in is in there, the actual owner of the vehicle have to be present. So for us, it was nice. We were a group. We traveled together. We got on the other side together, and there was not a person missing when the container was open. Um, I'm not sure if you ship with uh, people you don't know. That might be getting a little bit more trickier to coordinate. But for us, it worked out quite well. You mean to say that every person has to be there? In other words, if, if you were missing one person, no one gets their bike or, or their car? Correct. They will not open the container unless the the bill of lading that states there's three vehicles, three owners, that all three owners are uh, present. I think it's just basically protecting themselves and also if there's a car with some funny stuff in it that they can pinpoint and have uh, everybody uh, uh, present. Yeah, you know the harbors are quite strict and uh, we saw that even when we got to Cartagena, you have to go through the whole protocol uh, of what anybody else that works in the harbor goes through. You have to abide to the rules. You have to show that you've got insurance, etc. It's not a big issue. It's just, um, it's just uh, we we cleared our bikes in in Cartagena in two days. It was quick. There was no hassle about it. But it, there's a few more rules that you have to apply. You can't just offer it on a dock and, and vanish. But that being said, the guy we used were very very helpful. He even sent us emails beforehand stipulating exactly you're going to go here you're going to speak to this one you need to go here so he guides you through the whole process so to be quite honest other than the heat in Cartagena and us having to go to three or four different offices to organize the paperwork it was really effortless so what about uh, paperwork etc that that all is is explained to you by the company yes the guy that that shipped from from Panama the company the guy went with us to, I think, the three or four places we had to do the, the paperwork. It was easy. Um, you just get this, get that. Yeah, it was, it was fairly simple. Yeah, to, to summarize maybe, Jim, all you need is you've got five documents that you have to have copies of before you start the process. So uh, the guy we used, his name was Boris, and Boris would basically – Check that you've got the correct paper. First, he takes you to the custom office. They go through the paperwork, stamp it, and say they approve it and it's correct. He then takes you to where the shipping container actually stands. And under the uh, observation of one of the custom guys, the vehicle gets loaded then. Once it's loaded, you go back to the same office. They confirm the loading and they basically give you a, a temporary bill of lading, which is then your proof of document that your vehicle is on the ship and that is the document uh, that you need to clear on the other side. Um, and then once that is done, Boris takes care of the container. He keeps you, gives you tracking numbers or systems where you can go on to track the actual container. And then it's for you to get to Cartagena. I think we had four days uh, to get there. So we, in that time, looked for the cheapest flights over. 
um, we actually came across a company uh, that was quite new to the airlines, was called Wingo, and we managed to get really, really good uh, tickets. I think we paid about 85 US dollars per person. Yeah, and then spending two days in Cartagena and then when when it was all good and ready, uh, we went for the clearing. It was all in all about a week that, that we, since I loaded the bikes till we got them out of the um, container in Cartagena, it was, it was about a week, but I think it was less than a week, five days or so, six days. It was, yeah. Um, and our total cost was for both bikes, for flights, us, our staying, everything was 1,100 U.S., where at the, at the time, I think the star right there was 1,200, 1,300 per person with a bike. So it was a lot of money. And we looked at the star right there because it, it's really romantic. It's really nice. You, you sit on a, on a boat, you, you enjoy the time. And friends of us did it and they really enjoyed it. But the cost factor for us was was, uh, was major um, at that stage. That we, you know, to save $1,100 on, on, on shipping or, or sitting on a boat was, was quite an amount. Yeah, I think for us, we looked at it and said if we save $1,300 by not doing the sailing trip, when we get to the other side, we might use that towards going to the Galapagos Island or doing a cruise when we get down to a shire. Mm-hmm. What company did you use for that? Uh, we made use of a company called Ever Logistics, and Ever Logistics actually made make use of Evergreen, uh, the, the big shipping company. It's you can go directly to Evergreen, but you have to know your paperwork 100%. So they're actually charging you for what goes in the container, not the container itself. I was under the understanding that when you got a container, you sort of paid to ship this container and what you put in it was up to you. Yes and no. If it's one shipment with one set of documents, because normally if you ship and you sh- let's say you you importing goods from China, you would pay you the paperwork will be based on one invoice. But if you now have more than one party involved in a container, there is paperwork per item or per invoice, um, and that is where the extra costs come in because the shipping uh, companies actually charge you for documentation work. So in our case, we had four sets of uh, uh, paperwork because there were four individual vehicles in there. Well, now, what about um, bike prep? Did you have to do anything to prep the bikes before you got it, the bikes in there and the, and the vehicles in there? And is it roll on, roll off? Man, it is. It was actually so simple. All they do is they, they open the container. It stands on one of these um, chuck bodies. So you put it on a on a, a high lift jack. And you literally roll it into the container. You strap it down. They they help you to strap it down with, with straps. And that's it, and they close it. I was I was under the impression we have to take batteries off and uh, uh, get all the fuel out of the out of the bikes. Nothing. They just literally put it in, slap the door closed, and we go. I think the cars had a they had a thing where they were not allowed to have more than ten or so something liters in the fuel tank. But that was it. But but with the motorcycles, absolutely nothing. They load it on, strap it, strap it tight, and they give you a new set of uh, tie downs, and that was it. And Jim, the nice thing is they seal the container in front of you, so it gets one of those little numbered seals on, and the, they only allow to break that seal in your presence. So once you get to Cartagena and you get to the container, the uh, customs guy waits until everybody is observing and then only takes the seal off. So everything is secure and safe. So no worry about theft. You can basically leave anything you want on your bike at that point. 
Yeah, we did. We left everything on our bikes. We, le- we literally only took our uh, one 40-liter bag with our clothing and our laptops and stuff. But for the rest, everything we left on the bikes as we as we travel. This is the big difference between a container shipping and Roro. Roro, your vehicle is open. So, yeah, a lot of people uh, reported that stuff were taken or their vehicle were damaged. With this, as long as you make sure when they strap in your bike that it is strapped in properly and can't come loose and damage other people's cars, everything is actually quite easy. Uh, roll, roll is roll on, roll off. Correct. That's correct. Yeah, we did that in Israel. It was a, it was a different ball game, but it was still it was still good. I wish that there was a roll on between um, Cartagena and Panama. That would have made life a lot easier for a lot of people. Now, what about port fees or unstuffing fees, anything like that that you didn't expect? Was there any surprises? I must say, Jim, no, that Boris was really, really thorough. When he gave us the initial quotation, he actually included some fees that might be charged. He even included fees like if there was an additional day of storage, um, if they decide to do an inspection and there's an additional inspection fee. So for us, once we got to Cartagena and we cleared our uh, vehicles, we actually had 150 US dollars between the four parties that we could give back to each other because of costs that we saved that he budgeted just in case. Um, So to give you an idea, of the 2,030 US dollars for us for the 40-foot container, we had to pay about 1,300 to Boris in uh, Colombia. And then once we arrived at the port, the fees for his contact person and then to clear the fees in the harbor was 730 US dollars. And that's using this Ever Logistics. Um, I'm assuming that um, that part of what he's doing there is is ensuring that you're, you're getting no surprises. That's part of it. that's the whole point of using that. Because if you go to the Evergreen company directly, you're like as you said, you'll need to know all your paperwork, and then you may be in for those surprises if you didn't know in advance. Yeah, and especially if you're not shipping stuff every single day, you don't know about everything that that's that's going on. And this guy has told us that he shipped a lot of four by four owners cars in the in the past, so they. They know what they what they're doing and, and what people are getting up to. <laughs> that's not supposed to be in the interview. <laughs> Mickness and Elsby are in Peru right now, and, and that's a street vendor going by. Yeah, and it's, it's a guy selling fruits and, and stuff. It's a push cart. He comes past every day, and he, <laughs> fruits and rice Fruit, and anything bread. he can put on his little cart. <laughs> Okay, so um, what was immigrations and customs like for you? Oh, flip it, nothing. It was, it was like a walk in the park. It's, 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 your your, your yeah. important document is the one that he gives to you in Panama, which is the temporary bill of lading. And then uh, once he's got a copy of the uh, the original bill of lading, he, he emails that to you. And that is the only thing you need once you arrived on the other side to show that you are traveling with a vehicle for them to get you through uh, the customs. So, again, it was really effortless. So, um, any advice or tips for anyone considering the gap? Well, plan plan ahead um, because four by four guys also plan ahead. So, if you put it up on Facebook or, or connect with, with at campsites with people, ask around. So, if you got if, if people plan ahead, you can get um, like like with us, we were we were two cars and two bikes in a forty foot container. So, the, the cost come down. 
if you for example six or eight bikes together you can find a 20 foot container again i think we'll pay less you, you know less than a thousand or, or less yeah, than seven hundred dollars per person so, paper, yeah. yeah but the major thing is to do not pitch up in panama and colombia and decide i want to i'm going to ship my bike in two weeks time it ain't going to happen um, but if you if you take time and you have the time, then then talk to other four by four people. There's every one of them must ship the must ship the the car in a container um, or in a flatbed. Um, or none of them fly it. So yeah, I think just uh, speak to whoever is your agent because they know how many containers they have to book and how long in advance. Um, I think under correction, we had to give four weeks notice to book the container to ensure that it is available for us for shipping. We also had to account that it was done in April and with the Samana Santa celebrations, a lot of uh, the harvest staff takes off and there's certain days that's bank holidays. Uh, the guy we used, Boris, is basically, he is from an agent for Evergreen Line, although his company is called something different. So even if you don't get hold of Boris, just contact Evergreen Line and ask for the agents at the different harbors that you can deal with. And between the agents, they normally put you in contact with a person on the other side to assist you. Well, Elsby, Mickness, thank you very much. Thanks. Nice, nice chatting. Hope, hope it can help somebody. It's a pleasure. <laughs> And that was Mickness and Elsby from Peaky Peaky Overland, their website, pikipikioverland.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Now, in the show notes for this episode, we've got links to everything we've talked about. If you're considering the Darien Gap, or you're considering going from Ushuaia to Alaska or the opposite way, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and check the show notes for this episode. up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you the listener, thank you very much. Hey, if you like what we're doing, you'd like to help out, we need your help. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the support button. We would love to add you to our list of patron supporters. It's not a real long list at this point but we could really use you in there. So think about it. Drop by and have a look. Otherwise, all the show notes for this episode have, like I said, all the links in it that we talked about, all the other information and all of our show notes have the same thing drop by and check things out of the website now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can if not well i don't know maybe dream polish wax grease something pull it apart fix it rebuild those sorts of things see you next week my name is jim martin this is adventure rider radio hi i'm helge pedersen with globe riders and you're listening to adventure rider radio 